going to be dealing with authority. Um, some of you have been through school of leader, school of ministry before, and so um, this in some ways may be reviewed, but I'll be honest with you, I, I just think it's a good area uh, to review. And I know that we have one of the ladies' uh, expansion groups, connect groups that are going through Bevere's book on uh, Undercover. How many of you read Bevere's book? Because we were supposed to be doing some of that last. All right. How many of you chose Watchman Nee's book, just out of curiosity? Okay. That's a, that's a painstaking read, isn't it? Many people don't know that Watchman Nee really only wrote, I believe, one maybe two books, actually wrote the books. Now, I know you'll, you might say, well, he's got 40 of them out there, but actually, this is what happened. People would go to church services and conferences, and when he would preach in series, that they would literally take long-handed notes, and then they'd compile them all together, and then they'd create these books. And so, Spiritual Authority was not like a book that he sat down and wrote, but it was a compilation of numbers of people's notes as they put it together in order to put it in book form, and that's why it can read... Uh, just a little, you know, challenging. And then, you know, translation out of Chinese can be challenging, I would suppose, as well. I always recommend that people read Bevere's book first, and once you read Bevere's book, usually Watchman Nee's book uh, is a little bit more easily assimilated. Uh, I had to read Watchman Nee three, four times. I still read it, and, 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 and he was just, he was, he was a great man of God, though, and had an amazing revelation in so many areas, and one of them uh, was this particular area. Uh, for Trace and myself, when we came into full gospel circles, um, it was really the first time we ever uh, really were instructed appropriately in the area of authority. Now, I know there are probably people here who've been burned by authorities in your life. You've been burned by a bad boss, bad teacher, um, maybe a, a policeman, a judge. Uh, it, it could go to pastors. It can go to... Uh, you know, just uh, earthly leaders, governmental officials, uh, parents. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of authorities in the earth, and we're going to read a passage here in just a moment about that. But, but uh, we, were, we were birthed into it, I felt like, in a fairly balanced place. It wasn't mean, doesn't mean it was a perfect place, but I felt like it had a, had a good balance to it. And, you know, I, I've come to the conclusion that, uh, well, it was Dag Heward Mills who once said, you know, when you have a car, there are certain things on your car that are optional and certain things that are required. For instance, your car can still be used if you don't have a radio. You don't have to have a radio in your car. Now, I know some of you look at me going, yeah, well, I don't know about that. I, I'm feeling that way about the air conditioner right now. So I just, I cannot imagine driving around in a brutal Charleston summer without an air conditioner in my vehicle. So I think there would be a debate in my mind over whether that was essential or optional. But truth of the matter is, a car is to get you from point A to point B. And, and you could still get to point A to point B if you didn't have your air conditioner, as uncomfortable as that may be, because it's optional. You know, for years, we didn't have air conditioning. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. I'm glad I live in the dispensation of air conditioning. That's I'm grateful to the Lord that he set me in the earth with air conditioning. So there's things that are optional and things that are required. And, and I believe it is so for destiny and for purpose and for the kingdom as well. I believe there are things that, that we can uh, disagree on maybe by way of uh, certain doctrine that the scripture doesn't quite clearly enumerate. There may be some things 
that, that we can look at from a little bit different angle and we can still fellowship. But I have come to the conclusion, though, that if you want to get to destiny and if you want to understand how God works in your life right now in the earth, then authority is not optional. It is, it is required revelation that you have to understand because we are confronted with authority everywhere we go. It's not just in church and not just your boss, but I mean everywhere you go, you're going to be confronted with authority. And as we will see as we painstakingly go through these lessons, and you may say, can you spend 10 weeks in one area? We will exhaust this because I, I want you to understand it. I want you to have the whole whole counsel of God. I hope you'll remember all the things we even laid down last trimester that hopefully will give you a sense of, of what takes place on both the authority side and those who are under authority. And by the way, I'll just say this, that probably in your life, you will be both in authority and under authority. There may be seasons that all you are is under authority, but then there'll be seasons when you'll be in authority. And I have watched people both in and under, and sometimes you're in both positions at the same time in different ways. I'm telling you, if you don't get how God works through authority, you will miss how he's going to work in your life. And so we're going to start and just talk about the importance of authority tonight. I'm not going to read to you all of these passages, but I do want to read to you at least the first couple. In Romans 13, uh, beginning with verse 1, this is probably the most famous scriptural passage concerning authority. It says this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. How many of you got revelation that that means you and me? Every, everyone has to be subject to governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, you can say, oh my God, because you're gonna run into some authorities that you're gonna say, what was God thinking? Can you say amen? Come on, has, has, has everybody in the room hit an authority sometime in your life that you said, what in the world was God thinking when they put this person in charge? Come on now. I don't know of anybody who hasn't had a boss they thought needed to be worked over by the Holy Ghost. But the Bible here says that that authority was appointed by God. I know that's hard to believe, but I'm going to share something with you that God uses that authority to work things in you and out of you, believe it or not. Believe it or not. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring, bring judgment on themselves. So it says this, that if we don't handle authority and you resist authority, you're going to bring some kind of judgment upon yourself. Wow, we better have ears to hear. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Hey, you didn't realize the last time that highway patrolman pulled you over and gave you a ticket, he's ministering to you. Did you? You never knew that, did you? He ministered to you a ticket. You're going, I don't know if I buy that. I'm just reading the Bible to you. He says, if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. I don't know about you, but most of the tickets I've gotten, I deserved it. I mean, I, could, I could lie or dodge or say my speedometer must need work on it, sir. I, I, I can't believe I was going that fast. 
says, if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, I don't, I don't like taxes any better than the next person likes taxes. And, and, and I won't get into this, and people have asked me about this on occasion, and my answer has always been this. Render unto Caesar what is due to Caesar and not a penny more. Now, the penny more is my addition, but I will render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. All right? It says, because of this, you pay taxes for their God's ministers, Attending continually to this very thing, render therefore to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I'll just leave it with that, and, and we'll leave Second Peter for another time, because I will assure you we'll get back to it. Now, Watchman Nee once said, and again, uh, some of the things he said have just been forever indelibly etched into my, into my psyche, but he says that the greatest controversy of the universe is over the question, who's going to rule? Most of the things you contend with in life really can be boiled down to that question, who's going to rule? Is God going to rule? Will your flesh rule? Will the enemy rule? Who's, who's going to rule? That's what the issue was initially in the garden when the serpent was enticing Adam and Eve. Once again, it was who's going to rule? Is the serpent going to rule or what God said is he going to rule? And so everything you face, everywhere you go, you're going to be continually challenged and confronted with that question, who's going to rule? And it takes great revelation to understand the importance of authority. And most Christians, by and large, only understand authority in a very superficial and Americanized way. One of the greatest problems we have here in America and again, I'm not here to teach on civic government, and I'm not teaching on the government of God or the kingdom of God. But just to touch on it, you got to understand that we have been steeped in democracy. And we just assume that God must be for democracy. Can I just share this? God is a king. And he runs a kingdom. He's not running a democracy. And we've got to understand that the precepts he brings to us are kingdom precepts. And, and so, you know, we're not voting God in and out. Do you understand? We can take a vote on the Lord and it's not going to affect him one iota. I'm just here to tell you one plus God equals a majority. And in America, we don't get that. And even in the church, we really don't get it. Now, there are two forces at work in the universe that must be identified and dealt with. Number one, the principle of God's authority. And uh, we're going to come back to this over and over again. There's two aspects or two prongs of authority. There's what I call direct authority, which is the authority that God himself exercises over his people. Now, can I just say this? Because I know all of you are here on Wednesday night, so I can say this. You love God or you wouldn't be here. There's something in you that's drawn to the Lord, and, and you want to serve God, and, and, and your heart's toward the Lord, and all these things are great. And everyone in this room would say, if I asked you this question, if Jesus asked you to do something, would you do it? I suspect the Wednesday night crew would all holler, amen. We have no problem with direct authority, do we? If Jesus speaks to me, if the Holy Ghost speaks to me, I mean, as much as I can hear his voice, I can tell you tonight, I want to obey him. I have no problem with direct authority. My problem is with delegated authority. 
See, I have no problem serving Jesus. It's when Jesus shows up in the form of someone else. Now I start having problems because who are you? Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. Don't misunderstand me. I love God, but I, I don't know that I even like you. I mean, I mean I, I, see, that's our problem. Our problem isn't God dealing with us this way. Our problem, isn't it, Karen? It's when God deals with us this way. And you need to get this revelation that most of your life, God's going to work with you through people. Because here's what happens is we all say we love God and we're sensitive to God, but I'm just here to tell you most of us, we aren't hearing God's voice all that well, and, and, and we twist him and manipulate him for our own purposes more times than we're probably even aware of. Now, I'm just telling you the truth. Does God want to work with us directly? Sure he does, but I'm telling you, most of the time he comes to us through delegated authority. Now, that's what it says here in Romans 13. They are, when, you're, when you're confronted with authority, that's what Paul said here. It says, for there is no authority except from God. Now, you may like, I'll just go through it. You may like the president. You may not like the president. But he got there because God allowed him to get there. He said, no, 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 I went and voted. I understand, but the Bible says that it is God who raises one up and sets another down. So somehow, some way, God's in that. Now, we can all debate the policies and the every, I mean, we can go to town on all this stuff, and maybe, maybe we come in contact with poor rulers or bad rulers, but, but the truth of the matter is that even through poor rulers, God is doing something in his people. Now, you're going to get a hold of the principle of God's authority. That's one force. The second force is the principle of satanic rebellion. Now, there's nothing in between. Now, that includes, when I talk about satanic rebellion, I, I, instantly we probably think of the occult, and if you're doing occultic things, then obviously that's rebellion. But, but sometimes, you know, people, people just disobey. Nothing has nothing to do with the occult, but if they just disobey what the Word says, okay, whatever the Word says, just imagine something in your mind that this Word says that is absolutely clear, and somebody disobeys it. That's satanic rebellion. I know that's, I know that's tough, but where do you think that came from? We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then finally, there's what I call overlooked rebellion. In fact, I've even called it sweet rebellion. It's when people smile and nod at you and still do the wrong thing. And uh, we're going to get to a message later on that's entitled, Surely You Don't Mean Me. You know, like when you park in a handicapped spot and you're not handicapped, and you look at the sign and you run in, and then someone may look at you and say, hey, that's a handicapped spot. And you go, I I'm just running in. I'm just running in for just a moment. I'm just, I just got to run in and run out. And, and you know what you're saying? You're saying, surely you don't mean me. That handicap sign wasn't for me. Oh, you're going to find out so much. God's going to just help you so much. He really will. Now, let's talk about satanic rebellion for just a minute because you're not going to understand unless you understand Lucifer. And in Ezekiel 28, I just want to go through this quick description because we find there a description of who he was before he actually fell. Now, we know him to be uh, the devil, Diabolos, you know, all the pictures in our mind of what the devil is, and, and, and these things, uh, you know, may or may not be true. But in the book of Ezekiel, we find out that originally uh, Satan, Lucifer, was an amazing angel. 
The Bible says that he had an anointing on him to do the work of ministry in the heavenlies. I honestly believe he was the music leader in heaven. I believe he was the one that, that sang the praises and, and, and led the praises before God himself. The scripture says that he was full of wisdom, that he was full of charisma and winsome. How do I know that? It's because he was able to convince one-third of the angels who had been around the throne, the very throne of God, with the glory of God and the perfection of God, he convinced a third of the angels to fall with him. He had to have been winsome. The Bible says that God himself had established him in ministry. It was God who created angels. It was God who set up assignments. It was God who handed them out. And it was God who pulled even Lucifer himself as close, I believe, as one could get to the very throne. So the Lord had established him in ministry and provided the opportunity. And the Bible says that he was skilled at what he did. But the problem was, and this is really interesting, because uh, I, you know, I don't know that I have a good answer for it, but something started to happen in Lucifer. There was something at work inside of him, and the Scripture tells us that he began to think too highly of himself. Now, we begin to say that's pride. Pride is basically thinking too highly of yourself. It's when you begin to think you're all that. It's when you begin to believe your own press. It's when all the angels show up and go, I mean, I mean, can you imagine being in heaven and everybody coming to Lucifer and saying, worship is perfect. And it was. <laughs> can you see Lucifer? Or call him anything you want. Call him Bob or George or Tyrone or whatever. And he goes, yeah, it is kind of good, isn't it? What would God do without me? It wouldn't be as good as it is without me. He began to think too highly of himself. And so he was no longer satisfied with the position that he held. And so what happened was he began to say things, and in Isaiah 14, we would read this, he began to say, I will be like the Most High. I will be lifted up. I will ascend to the throne. I will become like the Most High. And rebellion and offense began to take root in him, and he defiled a third of all the angels, and it fell with him. So that's the moment we find all the demonic powers now, or the, those one-third of the angels that fell, those are all the demons. And, and Satan himself fell as well. Now, what's the point of all this? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to read you some interesting words here. Matthew 7, 21, it says this. Listen to me. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus is speaking, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Interesting. Not everybody gets in, but he, he says, who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. So there's miracles happening here, signs and wonders and all sorts of things that are coming from these people. And in verse 23, it says this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Now, this is the part you need to underline. You who practice, everyone say practice. Now, now, I know we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understand that there's not one of us here, no, not one who is righteous in and of themselves. I understand the scripture. I understand that sin comes to us both by omission and commission. I understand the nature of all of these things. But there's a difference between being ensnared or being tripped into sin or incidental sin. And how many of you know there's a difference when you practice it? I mean, I believe at times you can get caught. But when you start calendaring it and planning it, 
Well, I think you just entered into some practice. And it says, you who practice lawlessness. Now, the word is anomia. Nomos is the Greek word for law. Ah is just simply the negative, no law. Lawlessness, no law, no restraint. So Jesus is literally looking at people who've been prophesying. They've been casting out devils, doing signs and wonders. But the problem was they were under no authority. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so Jesus says, listen, now hear this, just like Satan was a worship leader, Jesus said that a person can preach. I'm telling you, pastors are lawless. A person can preach, they can teach, they can lead worship, they can cast out devils, they can prophesy, they can be a church leader, and the whole time the principle of lawlessness is working inside of them. And so we've got to begin to understand that when we talk about being under authority, we're just not talking about the world in its lawless state, but I'm telling you the church at times is in a lawless state. And so there can be spiritual people doing lawless things, or they can begin, and what lawless basically is, is you're beginning to work outside of God's authority. Now, the question is, how do, how do you know if this is you. Now, it's interesting because many of you have heard those verses, but if you'll read on, Jesus will begin to tell a story here that will help us understand uh, about whether we're functioning like this or not. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I started thinking about these two houses. I don't have time to go because it's a great little message I could preach here. There's two houses here. And apparently, you know, they're built pretty much the same way. They're built, you know, with the same considerations. But the problem is one, one builds their house. And, and let's just do a little interpretation. If, if Jesus said, here's a man who's building a house, what's he trying to analogize, analogize that to? A life. You're building a life, right? Here's a man building a house. So he's, he's saying that's analogous to somebody building their life. And he says one's building it on sand. They're building their life on sand. And another one's building their life on a rock. And storms come, and I'm going to talk about the storms here in just a minute. And the one who built on the rock survives it. The one who built on sand did not survive it. Now, most of us know probably superficially, that when we hear the word rock, a lot of times we think of Jesus. Jesus is the rock. And, and that indeed is you want to build your life on Jesus. Undoubtedly, that could be one of the interpretations of that passage. But I'll tell you this, in Matthew 16, when Peter declares, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus looked at him and said these words. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he says, and, and, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I've heard a lot of people use the word rock in different ways. You know, the Catholics think the rock means Peter. 
So they teach it like it's apostolic succession, like Peter was the first bishop of Rome, and, and, and that's the rock, was, was the bishopric that started with Peter. There are other people who felt like the rock met Jesus himself upon this rock because he declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to suggest to you that what I believe the rock to be is the revelation that Peter got. He got a revelation, or the light came on in his spirit, and once the light came on in his spirit, that was something that wasn't just theory. It wasn't something that was just doctrine. I mean, this was now alive in him. And this is what I believe Jesus is saying. He says, when you build your life, obviously on Jesus Christ, but you build it on a revelation of his ways and his workings, and when you establish your life on that, when storms come, you'll survive. But you see, there are too many people. Listen, you know some of them, Christians. I'll, I'll grant them. They're saved. They love God. I'm not suggesting they don't. But is it not amazing that there are Christian people whose lives are in ditches? The smallest of storms blow across their path, and it takes them out. I mean, we're, we're talking that the Lord says to us that you and I are to rule over nations and we can't hardly rule over our bodies and we can't rule over our own little households. And then we're supposed to rule over nations and then a little thing comes through like a recession and we're all going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are you, are you beginning to see what I'm saying here? you got to get a revelation. Who's in charge? God's in charge. What am I building my life on? I'm building my life on his ways, what he says, not what man says. Washington can pass legislation from now until Jesus comes, and it won't change the kingdom of heaven. You've got to get a hold of some things here in the area of authority. It's one of those areas that, that God works and moves in your life. And if you begin to build your life on his precepts and the things that are revelation, and that's why we're taking 10 weeks, because I'm telling you, when I finally got a revelation of this, my whole life turned around. I mean, it was like getting born again again. Because I started to understand how God was trying to deal with me. And I thought it was interesting, these storms. God, I believe this. I believe the Lord allows storms to come your way so that you can begin to see what you're building your life on. Listen to me now. Don't say, well, God would never send a storm my way. That's simply not true. Jesus put disciples in a boat, told them to go to the other side, and he allowed them to go into a storm. I believe he'll let you go through a storm just so you can see what you're building your life on. And it's interesting. He'll send the rains, which I believe are analogous, you know, to, the, to, to your roof. Your roof's your covering. And I think he sends rains, whatever they may be, into our life at times to see if you're really under authority. Are you really undercover? I believe he'll send floods to make sure you have the right foundations in your life. Are you in order? He'll send winds in order to test the, the structure of what you're building. And are you building to code? Are you following me? And authority is going to be one of these areas. Now, why the need for authority? All of us need help in doing life. I don't know about you, but I need help in doing life. I know when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything. How many of your teenagers think they know everything? I mean, I mean, that's just how you are when you're a teenager. But you get a little experience under your belt, and you find out that you're just pretty dumb. Some of them do, yes. Well, that's true. But, but, but hopefully, if, if we have some sense, we begin to realize that 
you know, we don't know everything. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. And so we need help doing life. We need help being honest about who we are and, and what we are really all about. And, and can I just share this with you? Nobody looks at their own life objectively. No, you don't. I don't. I don't look at my life objectively. I think, I think I'm a pretty whole, decent, on-target person. But I'll just tell you, man, my wife will be used by God to speak to me. And after 29 years, it's amazing what I still need to work on. You do, too. Nobody sees their own life objectively. I wish I could tell you you were perfectly objective. And, and it's funny how many times people will come and say, oh, tell me, t- just tell me if you see anything in my life, just tell me I'm an open book. And you'll go, okay, well, I think maybe you need to consider this. And they'll go, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, then why did you ask? That's why it's called a blind spot. And can I also share this with you? No one can really measure their own level of lawlessness without some help. I'll assure you in America, man, there's such lawlessness in the earth that, that, that we, don't even, we don't even imagine, we don't even know how much lawlessness. Can I just tell you, sir, let me tell you a real quick story. I've got to tell this fast because I'll run out of time. But when I was first on staff at, at Evangel Cathedral, um, I hadn't been there too long, and it was one of those days. It was a crazy day as a staff pastor. You're doing stuff in the back while service is happening. And, and pastor had roped off several sections in the sanctuary because he was trying to get people, you know, it was a large church, and it was a big sanctuary, and he just didn't want people strung all over this gigantic, you know, if you have, even if you have 1,000 people in, in, a, in a seating area that seats 3,000, how many of you know if they're just, if they're all over the place, it looks sparse and and I know what he was trying to do. He was just trying, he was trying to bring everybody. So he, so he put up these, these, these roped-off areas. Well, it just so happened that day that the whole place was really, really full. It wasn't completely full, but it was pretty full. So I'm working in the back. Service is going on. I come in. Service has already started, and I'm looking around, and I'm telling you what's going on in my mind. I'm saying to myself, wow, there's a lot of people here. Um, I, I don't want to disturb anybody. Uh, so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to step over this rope, and I'm just going to sit in this seat, and I'll just be, I'm in the back. I was, I was busy. I'm just going to step over the ropes, and, and I'll sit in the back, and I don't have to disturb anybody, and, uh, and, and you know, and, and that'll just, that's probably a good thing to do. Monday morning, the administrator called me up and said, hey, Kevin, can you come in here? I said, sure, man. His name was Larry. I said, uh, yeah, Larry, what you need? He goes, um, I just want to ask you, why were you sitting in the roped-off section? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, we roped it off in order to keep people out of that. I said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But um, you, you, you need to understand that the reason I did that was because, you know, I was working in the back and I didn't want to disturb service and didn't want to disturb anyone else, and so that's why I stepped over it. And, and he, said, he said, no, 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 you don't understand. What, what that rope meant was nobody was to sit in that section. And I said, no, no, you don't, get, you don't understand. You don't, you don't know my, my heart. Was, you you got to understand my heart. That's not my, it wasn't my intent to do anything wrong. But he, and, he, and I'll never forget Larry. Larry, Larry was a straight-up guy. He, he, said, he, said, he said, Kevin, your problem is, is that you'll obey as long as it makes sense to you. You don't think I've ever gotten it in my life? And I'm sitting there going, what's the big deal? It's just a rope. On a chair. 
I know some of you are looking and going, oh, my God, I don't know. What would I, I'd leave the church. I know you would. <laughs> of course, that's where my paycheck came from. So I just, but do you understand? See, I'm getting back to I, I, when you step over the rope, what you're saying is you, you don't mean me. You don't mean me. No, you see, I had a reason. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it was a good reason because it was my reason. And at that moment, I began to suddenly get a hold of how much lawlessness was really in me. How much lawlessness? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell more stories, so you're going to get to enjoy a lot more. All right? You see, nobody can measure that. The whole time I'm walking around thinking, yeah, I'm good, I love God. I'm serving God. I'm called to the ministry. I've been preaching the gospel. Yeah, and you got lawlessness because when someone tells you to stay out of a rope section, you can't do it. I, I, I mean, I've seen it for years. You put big signs up that'll say things like, don't bring coffee into the sanctuary. And people go. And the whole time they're going, you don't mean me. I got up late. I didn't have a chance to get breakfast. I had to rush here to church. If I don't keep, if I don't keep my, if I don't keep my sugar levels right, I, I, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll manifest. No, 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 no. That sign was for you. <laughs> I'm watching all y'all's faces. It's that's worth a million dollars right now, man. I'm just telling you, it, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. I got convicted the other day, every now and then, you know, right over here by the car wash, it says, do not enter. And I got convicted again the other day and said, you know, that sign means me. I'll never forget a couple years ago, I was parking out there, and, and, I, and I started parking right out front in order to unload things real quick, but then I got kind of lazy and just started parking right there, right out of front in order to jump in and jump out. And, and, and it was during the Christmas season when the police watched the place. And he came up and came inside and got me. And he said, don't you know this is no parking area? But I lease this building. I mean, I pay thousands of dollars to lease this building. Surely you don't. I'm just giving you a warning this time. Oh, I guess you do mean me. Can I just share something with you at this moment? That was God. And some of you right now are spinning scenarios in your head when you've had similar situations, and I'm telling you, you miss God working in your life. Now, let me give you several reasons as I go through this. And that's not even the sermon. We haven't even got to surely you don't mean me yet. I mean, I tell you, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. There are several practical reasons, though. Let me give you some practical reasons for authority. Number one is it establishes unity. Your natural body operates seamlessly and with coordination because it has a head on it, right? I mean, you got one head and one brain. And so your head keeps you from living in anarchy. Now, now we recognize I'm not, I'm not demeaning or making fun of anybody, but you understand if somebody's having a seizure and they're not able to control their body, it's because something's not connecting between the head and, and, and nerve endings or motor skills or muscles or whatever the case may be. And we recognize when something's going, that that's not operating according to plan, right? You're following me? Do you understand what the body of Christ looks like? That's what it looks like. 
It, 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 it's because we've not learned cohesion under the head. And I know what everyone says. Well, Jesus is the head. You are right. Jesus is the head. We've got no problem with direct authority. I don't either. It's this authority that I have problems with. By the way, anything with two heads is considered weird. That's why I don't personally believe the Bible teaches in committees. But that's, that's another lesson as well. Anyway. Number two, to bring maturity and character development. You need authority in your life to help develop you as a person. There will be no maturity without accountability. Number three, you need authority in your life to bring counsel and guidance. People receive wisdom either by listening to the experience and insight of authority or by experiencing the pain on their own. All of us, is this not true? All of us have had these stories where we have gone through something and when we get to the end of the story, we say to ourselves, if only I had just listened to fill in the blank. Oh, if I just listened to dad. If I just listened to mom. If I just listened to pastor. If I just listened to the judge. If I just listened to my boss. Are you following me? God brought authority into your life in order to bring counsel and guidance. Number four, to, to replenish our areas of lack. This is a cool thing. In Psalm 133, there's a psalm that talks about how an anointing is released, and it comes over Aaron's head, and it flows down over his whole body until it goes down to his, his very feet. And I believe that, that, that when we find ourselves under authority, that there's an anointing that flows out of that relationship that begins to replenish in you things that you didn't even know you were lacking in. Now, now that doesn't mean I'm all that in a bag of chips. It just simply means that whenever we put ourselves under authority, I can remember on numerous occasions, especially when I worked for my pastor in Spartanburg, that, that I was thrust into situations where I was way in over my head. But yet there was something that happened to me at those moments that God moved. And I know what we say normally, God showed up and God anointed me. And that is true, he did, but you know how he did it? He did it because you were under authority and it was loose through you. That's why Elisha could do twice as much because he was under Elijah's authority. And then finally, why we stay under authority, and many of you that have read John Bevere, he does the best job of all of this, it's to provide protection. In fact, the word covering, hupotasso, is most of the time translated submission. Submission literally means to line up under. And there's a difference between obedience and submission. Now, those of you that are parents, you know this uh, very quickly and easily because you'll ask your kids to do things, and oftentimes they will do it, but you can tell instantly it's not like they like it. And you've heard this phrase before where we've, say, where we've said they're sitting down on the outside, but they're what? standing up on the inside. So you've got to understand that God doesn't call us to just obedience, but he wants to deal with the heart. And, and so the key is, we, I have found myself, I've been obedient to the Lord, but I've not always been submitted to the Lord. There have been times I've done what God has asked me, but inside it was like, if I had a choice in this matter, Lord, And truth of the matter is, I have been that way in relationships as well. I've been that way with bosses. Come on now, amen? Your boss will ask you to do something, and you'll smile and go, sure. They go out of the room, and you go, mm. Well, you did it, but where was your heart? 
Where was your heart? That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 11.10, in fact, that's where the, the concept of covering comes from, 1 Corinthians 11.10, and I don't know that I'm going to have time to, 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 to go over all of these things uh, because he talks about women who are unshaved heads and everybody gets all worked up about unshaved heads. In those days, um, um, women that were coming out of the, the, the you know, pagan temples were basically showing their independence by uh, shaving their heads. And Paul writes here that, you know, you ought, not, you ought not look like those who aren't under authority. And that's why it says here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, it says, For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so he says that, that there's an important place of submission that will come there. Now, men are under submission too. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, by the way, if you're married, you need to read this, that, that you're really submitted one to the other. There's a lot of guys that don't get that. That there's are moments that your wife really can't speak into your life, and it's the Holy Ghost if you listen to her. But I understand that as God has set it up, that if there is something that has to be decided and a call has to be made, that, that the husband is the one that has spiritual authority in those particular issues. And of course, we'll talk about what happens when you run up against poor authority. But it's interesting that when you're not under authority or you're under no covering, there's a couple of passages here that, that I can't take the time to read or we'll run out of time. But basically, it's the passages where Paul was saying, he said, when there was someone who was in rebellion, remember when he said, hand them over to Satan? Have you ever read those? Well, maybe if you haven't read them, maybe we ought to read them. That'll, that'll encourage your day, won't it? Paul's handing somebody to Satan. Hallelujah. All right. Well, he's talking in 1 Corinthians 5 that there's sexual immorality going on in the church. It's not being dealt with. And then he says, finally, after they are dealt with and, and they're not being responsive, it says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty rough there, doesn't it? 1 Timothy 1.20. Let me read this one, and we'll just... We'll just get it out here. 1 Timothy 1.20. We read, talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander and how they uh, caused Paul such problems. It said, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, you may have read those verses. You may not have. But I asked myself the question one time, how do you deliver somebody to Satan? <laughs> I mean, there have been a few that I've wanted to. Now, I can't say that I, I, you know, you know what? Go to Satan. I've never, I've never done that. I don't, I don't know how that's done. And so I asked myself, how do you deliver somebody over to Satan? And it finally dawned on me. I believe the Holy Spirit unveiled it to me. It's, it's when uh, what Paul was saying was this. He was saying, I am no longer, I'm no longer your authority. I'm no longer your pastor. I'm no longer your covering. And do you understand that when, when authority leaves your life, because submission is like an umbrella, it produces an umbrella. And, and when you're under authority, you have no idea how much you miss of the enemy's attacks just by virtue of being under authority. Now, it doesn't mean you miss everything, but you get out from under authority. 
I just want you to think for just a minute. Think about Christian people you know that refuse to get connected to a local church. Think about Christian people who refuse to get under instruction. Think about people, you know, Christian people, I'm not saying they're not Christian. I'm not saying they don't love God, but they just refuse to really respond to any authority. They're just independent, and they're going to do whatever it is they feel like God's telling them to do. And, and I, look at their lives. I'm just saying be an observer. I'm not saying judge them. I just look at their lives. When I've had observations like that, all I can say is this, that the people who seem to flourish are those who are planted by the river. When you get planted in a local church, when you get tied in to a local church, when you have the ability to be able to say, this person is my pastor. I mean, I think every Christian ought to be able to say, who's your pastor, including a pastor. If you came and said, Pastor Baird, who's your pastor? Rod Aguilard. Who's yours? Well, I'm just a part of the body of Christ at large. What that means is you're under no one's authority. I'm just translating that statement for you. Had a guy come to the door the other day. They were, they were needing to get out of town somewhere, and I believe the story was true, and just needed gas money. And I was just asking them some questions, and I always deal with people the same way because I get scammed a lot. I got people scamming me for their drug money and their booze money, and, and, they're, and they're doing everything they can to get money. And you wouldn't think people would use churches, but they use them all the time. So I have this little thing I go through with people in order to kind of discern them and whether or not it's true. And I think they were shooting straight with me. And I got to the point when I was asking them a few questions, and, and I got to the place where I really penetrated with a tough question, and he rolled his eyes at me. And I went in, and I, and I got out petty cash, and I, and I got some money for gas. And I stood before him, and I said, I said listen, I, I'm going to help you right now. I know you need some fuel, and you said no churches have helped you yet. I'm going to help you right now. I, I, I said, you have a local church around town here? Well, you know, I've gone to this church and that church and that church, and, you know, I, I love God, and I'm part of the body. I said, yeah, yeah, but you don't got 20 bucks to put in your car, do you? And you're stopping at a church, and you don't know me, and you don't know us. And, and, and you say you love God, but it sure is interesting how you don't even have $20 to put in your car right now. Well, and he started doing this. I said, I'm going to tell you something else. You keep rolling your eyes at me, you're going to lose the 20 that's in front of you right now. I said, now listen, I'm not here to harm you. And I was really like this. I don't want you to, I, I'm, I, when I came to this, I, I didn't want to embellish. I'm not embellishing. I'm saying, listen, I, I, I don't want to harm you. I don't want to hurt you. Obviously, you're, you've fallen on difficult times and tough times, and, and, you, and you need this, and, and, and I want to be able to do this blessing in your life. But I'm going to tell you something, sir. I said, until you get connected to a local church, and until you get somebody, because you know what? I already asked you if, if, there, if you had a pastor. Because if you would have looked at me and said, well, yeah, so-and-so is my pastor, all I would have had to have done was pick up the phone and call your pastor. And all he would have had to have done was say, yeah, I know. I know that dear brother. And could you help him out? And I would have given you more than enough to get you where you need to go. I'm doing this. I'm not doing this out of any other reason than it's just sheer mercy. But I'm trying to help you that if you'll get the chip that's on your shoulder off and if you'll connect to a local church, and you know what? You could even come to this one. I don't care what church you go to, and you reach the place where you'll put yourself under somebody and you'll listen and you'll learn and you'll be teachable. You won't be begging for gas money anymore. 
If you want to keep doing it your way and not listen to anyone, this is what it gets you. Can I pray with you? And he hugged my neck when it was gone. It was, I felt like I was talking to a wayward son. He just grabbed me and hugged me because I don't think anybody had ever just stopped and said that to him. See, that's what being under authority can do. I mean, I've been, since 1989, I am aware I have done my best to keep myself under authority. And I can tell you this, I've never had to beg 20 bucks for gas money. God has always somehow, some way come through. I've gotten more than my fair share of meals, and I can show it to you. I've done pretty good. And I believe it's because I've understood the principles of God. When you function in lawlessness or move out from undercovering, you're going to open yourself up for attacks of the enemy. Now, again, I'm not, maybe people have done well out there and not have to be connected, but I'm telling you, I understand we're all connected this way. I got it. I am too. But the question we're going to work with is, will you be able to see God working this way? And, and if you can, God will raise you up and do incredible things in your life. Amen? I'm just telling you right now, Pastor Miles opened doors for me, and because of my relationship to him, there are things that I'll never be able to repay. And I know that God did because I got, I got it as revelation in my spirit. Amen. I want you to get it too. I believe you'll, you'll be promoted at work. You know, Daniel, Daniel worked in a pagan in a pagan country, and Daniel found favor, the Bible says, under about five pagan administrations. How could he do that? Because he understood how to come under even poor authority. Now, we're going to get there, and it'll blow your mind, but I believe it'll help you get to your destiny. Amen? Come on, stand with me. I appreciate you giving me just a few extra moments. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're going to look at me and say, but pastor, what if they're rotten? What if they're doing outbroken sin? We will get there. If somebody's abusing you or beating you up, there's an answer to these things. Nobody's, nobody's pushing you into some abuse, okay? I understand people have been abused. I think I've been abused on occasion. Of course, what we define abuse and what God defines as abuse may be different too. We're going to have to talk with that as well. All right, are you with me? So I understand you, all your authorities have always been rotten. I got it. All right, but we're going we're gonna to get there, and we're going to help you work through that so you can see God's hand even in that. Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight for your spirit that's in this place that works in revelatory ways. And, Lord, I believe tonight that you're wanting to release a blessing. You're wanting to release, Lord, anointing upon your people in profound ways, ways that they've not even experienced yet. They've, they've had measures of anointing. But, Lord, they've not perhaps had the moment when they've just had an un unbelievable, outbroken, unrestrained, superabundant anointing on their life. And, Lord, I believe that you have that for the church. You have that for your people if we just learn what it meant to be under authority. So, Lord, give us revelation. I understand that if we don't have revelation, we're always going to chomp at the bit in our mouth. We're always, gonna, we're always just going to chafe. Lord, with what's going on around us, but Lord, give us a sense of confidence in you because what it all boils down to, Lord, I've learned is this. Will I trust you or not? Will I trust you with my life? Will I trust you with how you've led my life? And will I trust you working in my life in whatever situation I am in? 
And I want you to know tonight, Lord, as for me, I trust you. Lord, help your people tonight to trust you. It's trusting you. It's not trusting man. It's trusting you. So, Lord, help your people see that tonight in profound ways as we begin this journey. Lord, help them know that I love them and uh, glad that each one is on the journey, and I believe the greatest days are yet ahead. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.